Good morning and welcome everybody. You're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM 87.6, 87.8 or 88. Right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network, wherever you are. Positively different radio in the morning. You are with Lyle and... Minnie and... Kate, yay! <laughs> Welcome, Kate. We're so glad to have you joining us and uh, sort of uh, just sort of sitting in on the show this morning. Thank yes. you. Time to hang out. It's going to be good. amazing. Yeah. Okay. So, Minnie, uh, what are you thankful for this morning? I'm actually really thankful. So, I started. Playing, I played like two games of netball so far. So, I joined a team last year. Oh, okay. I, I don't know how to play netball, but it was right. just super fun to go last night. And it, we haven't done it since last year because I had like school holidays. And so it was just fun to be like, oh, I don't know what I'm doing, but yeah, let's run around and give it a go. So, so just run around and throw a ball around? Yeah. I was, I'm just really thankful for people who invite you to do things that you don't really normally do. Have you, did you like play netball in high school or anything like that? No, I more liked, I liked basketball, but I never played on the team. I was very, I was very shy in high school. So so how is how is netball different from bas- basketball? Aren't they the, well, you're not allowed to bounce it. Same game, right? I, and <laughs> I was going to say, if you talk to a basketball person about that, I think what I've heard is that netball is a great drill for basketball. So, oh, yeah, which okay. then also offends the netballers. <laughs> Kate, have you ever played? Do you play netball? I haven't played netball. I do play basketball though. Oh, okay. You, oh, okay. So, oh, this is this is good. We have a basketballer, and we have a netballer. No, well, here I wouldn't in the say studio. we have a netballer. Like, <laughs> and I wouldn't say we have a basketballer. <laughs> <laughs> but which which is the uh, which is the more challenging game? Then this is the this is the question. And and Ooh. and is basketball training for netball or vice versa? Hmm. I think it's just different, right? Yeah, this is a very political answer oh, yeah. given right now. <laughs> and how do you even do it without a backboard? Yeah, look, I don't play that that spot because I can't do it without a backboard. <laughs> okay, so you have different. So, so there are some people who are the ones who just do take yeah. all the shots. Yeah, and you're not one of the people who takes the shots. Not yet, right? No. Maybe okay. sometimes. So you're just somebody who. Passes the ball, gives the ball to someone else. Yep, or just tries to defend and doesn't always Stop be successful, people. but, you know, we give it a go. <laughs> no, I think that's fantastic. I think it's awesome to get involved in something in the community, play a bit of uh, whatever you want to play or um, involve yourself in some kind of sport and, uh, yeah, just mix with people. It's great. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. All right, positively different news. Let's have it. Okay, so motorbike riders are volunteering to help deliver COVID tests and life-saving blood donations um, throughout Australia at the moment. That's cool. Yeah, so it started last year, but basically at the moment, more than 150 volunteers have offered to transport tests um, and samples to hospitals and pathology labs when existing services were unavailable. They didn't begin to do this. They started specifically for blood um, transportation. So they're called Blood Bikes Australia. Oh. <laughs> right. Yeah, okay. So I've heard motorbikes called murder bikes before because, you know, they are kind of renowned for creating traumatic injuries and now they're calling yeah. them blood, blood bikes. bikes. I'm just like... But for saving lives. you got to put a positive spin on yeah, this. Yeah, that's right. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, I like this idea, by the way. Oh, absolutely. Because I like motorbikes. Okay. They're just... Cool to ride around on. Do you have a motorbike? I don't have a motorbike, which is a bit sad. I've never actually owned a motorbike, but I've ridden lots of motorbikes. My mum used to tell my brothers, both of them wanted a motorbike when they grew up, and her whole thing was, right, when you build your own coffin, you can get a motorbike. 
Now, they never built their own coffin, but both of them grew up. One was a carpenter by trade and one was a cabinet maker. So they had the ability. And she was like, no, no, this <laughs> this isn't what I meant at all. <laughs> but, okay, so this initiative was started late last year in Australia after a man, Mr. Davis, in Springfield, Queensland. He was inspired by the Scottish organisation of the same name. And so he started transporting blood from hospitals, one time for an emergency blood transfusion for someone who had leukaemia. And he... Mr. Davis says he loves this because on one hand he gets to ride his bike, which he loves, and he also gets to do good. So, Mm. you know, that's always nice when you can merge the two. The UK organisation is a primary courier source, um, whereas here it's it's less formal. It's more of, okay, we need someone to be our last resort, and it's Blood Bikes Australia. There you um, go. Yeah, but so they're all, they're all volunteers, as I said, and it's a group of independent people. Um, they've just kind of all agreed to a set of rules about how it's going to go down. They also have a cloud-based system, so on their computers, so it's basically who's available at what times, they can keep it all updated, and then the healthcare providers just have a read-only version that they can see the link, see specifically who's um, available, and ring that person, and then he or she... So it's kind of like a volunteer Mm. uh, blood-carrying motorbike Uber. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, I guess you could say that's what it is. You go online, you see who's available, you put them in and they turn up. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Cool idea. I think it's. I think it's epic. I think. Uh, I think we need to get. I'm hoping there are lots of motorbike riders who are listening in right now. I'm like, yeah, I'd be a part of that. Yeah, get amongst it. Absolutely. Um, and all volunteers are qualified, and they hold a blood transport certificate. I don't know what it looks like to get that, but apparently you can, in fact, get that. Um, they, yeah, as I said, they were founded to transport blood, but they've willingly helped transport tests from places like film sets in Queensland, where crew has to be tested every day for COVID. Which, by the way, I don't know if any of you guys had to get a COVID test. I had to. I knew I didn't have it. You've had, you've had, had the, the back of your brain ticking. Oh, they do. They're just like, let's tickle it and pull some out with us, why don't you? Oh, it's so disgusting. I couldn't Kate, imagine have you had a have you had a COVID test? I haven't. Oh, no. don't get one. Oh, it's so yuck. Uh, producer Hershell's had two. Oh. Yeah, two. Oh, that's right, because you had to quarantine. Oh, yes, that's sad times. But, yeah, and so they're also um, contemplating trying to find out if they can also add breast milk delivery services for mothers and premature babies who need just some extra assistance with that. And that's an awesome thing to do as well. Yeah, absolutely. So much better than uh, having your kids on soy milk or cow's milk or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, we'll see what happens with that. But I was like, oh, you guys. that It's never in my life occurred to me that that's an option, but it makes sense. Well, you need to go and get a motorbike license. Well, <laughs> that's what I've been doing all this time. <laughs> <laughs> um, in another story, so a four-year-old Lily Wilder and her father have discovered a footprint indent fossil of a previously unseen dinosaur species, the um, experts are saying. They are the the belief at the moment. I mean, they're also saying that it's like two hundred and fifteen million years old. So I'm yeah, yeah. a bit skeptical. Yeah, yeah. But uh, they're saying that it was a two footed dinosaur that stood about thirty inches tall and eight point two feet long. You, you know what else makes me skeptical? Mm. It's like every scientist just discovers a dinosaur mm-hmm. wants it to be a new discovery. Oh, hundred percent. So they can put their name to it. Like we discovered something new. Yep. If I was a scientist, if I was a like was a paleontologist that does dinosaurs, could be. I would definitely any oh, anything that I found like never been seen before. 
Whereas oh, it's just like 100%. it's a juvenile or it's an old one or but, it's a, you know, this is a bit of a slightly different, right? I actually do love, though, the excitement that comes with it. Oh, yes. Do you know what I mean? Even if it is something that isn't particularly new, the fact that you have a whole bunch of people going, <gasps> fossils, <laughs> yes. I can be intrigued by them, but I know nothing about them. So I'm like, oh, it's, it's a thing. Uh-huh. Like, I used to live, I used to live near a place where there was a whole cliff place, like a massive cliff face, and the whole cliff face was just fossils. Whoa, that's really like cool. Like just, just, it was just compacted massive you walk along the side of the road the gravel road is made out of gravel that every piece of rock has fossils in it oh wow yeah just like masses it's pretty cool that's really cool you walk through the creek bed you know everywhere you go there's just it's just fossilized fossilized rock everywhere but i've never it's all small stuff i'd love to discover a dinosaur a big yeah 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 yeah, yeah. (laughs) um but, yeah, so basically the Natural Resources Wales got permission to remove the fossil legally from the beach um, and they believe studying this thing will help them to learn how dinosaurs actually walked. I'm intrigued by how you get that from a fossil. But, anyway, I believe it that, you know, they'll, they'll discover something. Whether Anyway, curator Cindy Howells said that this acquisition um, is mainly thanks to Lily and her family, but she goes on to say that during the pandemic, the scientists at the museum have been highlighting the importance of nature on people's doorsteps. And this is a, this is a perfect example. It's not about necessarily finding dinosaur print, uh, footprints, but just about the wealth of nature that is local. And I just that's the part I really love because I'm reading Desire of Ages at the moment, which if you guys listen to our show, it is a book on occasion we have given away. Mm. Um, it's by author Ellen White. And just it's, it's one of my favorite books, just looking at the life of Christ. And... Yeah, there was a section I was reading the other day that said, talking about Jesus, that he gathered stores of scientific knowledge from nature. He studied the life of plants and animals and the life of man. From his earliest years, he was possessed of one purpose. He lived to bless others. For this, he found resources in nature. New ideas of ways and means flashed into his mind as he studied plant and animal life. Mm. And I was just thinking about that. I think I absolutely think we need to get into nature more. And I think I often get distracted and, you know, don't get out often enough, but... You know, there's so much we can see of God's heart and, you know, just science and exploration and cool things, you know, whether it's a fossil or just something else. Yeah, definitely. Fantastic. Yeah. I mean, hey, wouldn't it be amazing to dig up a T-Rex in your backyard? (laughs) Be pretty exciting. I would be the person who'd be like, oh, what's this? Nothing useful. (laughs) And then someone else would be like, no. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, I guess uh, our world really runs on fossils these days. Fossil mm. fuels. Where would we be? Where would we be without fossil fuels? There was obviously, you know, pre-flood. There was a massive, massive amount of you know wildlife, flora, fauna, flora that went into making all those fossil fuels. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM, positively different. All right, so three-person IVF. This is kind of how it goes. You've got um, all of these babies that are born, about 60 babies per year with life-threatening mitochondrial disease. Oh, wow. That's in Australia. So about about uh, 60 per year have this particular disease. And this particular procedure is designed to protect children from mitochondrial disease that they could get from their mother. Mm-hmm. And so what they do is they use the father's nuclear DNA and the mother's egg. They remove the defective mitochondrial DNA, so just the mitochondrial DNA, and replace that DNA with DNA from somebody else. Mm-hmm. And so then you have a child that is born that has three biological parents. 
That's so which is which is which is, which is pretty trippy stuff. Yeah, and. The science behind it is just ridiculously cool. I mean, what do you do? Do you get a do you get a syringe and like I'll suck some D out of this person and squeeze it into that egg over there? I mean, how does that even work? I mean, you are dealing with stuff that is just it's the size of DNA. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. you pull it out of here, and it's like, okay, I'm going to take that DNA out of that egg, and I'm going to replace it with. I, I don't even. I, humans are amazing to begin with. Mm. That's that's incredible technology, and the fact that it's saving lives, I think, is just fantastic. But then there's all kinds of questions that come up in my mind. Uh, what? How do you deal with having three biological parents and the third biological parent? What parental rights do they have, or should they have? Mm. That's the first question that goes through my mind. The second one that you're both looking at me like, hmm. <laughs> no, no, I'm just thinking. I'm just thinking of my own thoughts. Okay, the, so the, the second one that goes through my mind is this, and and, and this is this is what um, what they call um, germline modification. And so basically, you know, DNA material is passed down from parents to children, and once you modify and create a child that has DNA from three parents, then the gene pool of our world, the moment you do that, the gene pool of our world is irreparably changed forever Mm. because that's going to pass down and down and down and down and down and down and it's never going to disappear out of the gene pool and all of the descendants of that child are going to have genes from a parent that had three parents what does that mean? How does it affect the gene pool? What does it actually do to the gene pool? What are the long-term effects of that? I mean, you think about it, right? For, say, say, for instance, uh, um, right now, living around the world, there are 35 million descendants of uh, the people who came to America on the Mayflower. Yeah. You know, so you think about in 200 years' time, how many descendants will there be? You know, it's, it's, it's going to go wild. I mean, one in seven... Uh, people in Southeast Asia are related to Genghis Khan. True. Um, so you know, it's it's going to be something that, given time, will you know take over the world. It will be the new gene format or the new DNA format of the world. <laughs> so ethical questions coming yeah. through the Australian Federal Parliament, and they're going to do something very very rare. They're going to allow a conscience vote on this. How often do you see that happen in federal parliament? So ScoMo's, yeah. ScoMo's not, it's not, yeah, we're not going to vote on, on party lines. It's like everybody go home, make up your own mind and uh, vote according to your conscience. Are they addressing any of the questions, like the ethical questions? Well, I'm sure they will debate them in parliament. Yeah. Backwards and forwards. I hope they do. Mm. That's, what, that's what we elect people to do is to, uh, <laughs> is to get out discuss. there and to yeah. discuss and to debate. Yeah. It's, it's I, I'd love to hear. I'd though. love to hear your, yeah. your your views as listeners. Um, let us know what you think. Should mm-hmm. we be messing around with DNA like this? Should we be creating children that have three parents? Uh, should we be saving life? Is this morally wrong, morally uh, right, or is it amoral? I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. Give us a call one 843 or text us on zero four nine one zero six four six six nine. Really quickly, mm-hmm. just curious. Going to put you on the spot. What What do you think? Aside from the questions, if you had to tomorrow 
give your own conscious this vote. Is, this is what something where I'm hoping that we will get some listeners that will share some opinions uh-huh. and I'm hoping that you will share some opinions because I want to make up my mind. Uh-huh. I, I see two things here. I see that three parents is not the way God designed us to be. On the other hand, I see life-saving technology. Yes. And I see that we have been able to create this life-saving technology using the, you know, the abilities that and 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 the and you know just the the genius that God has created within us. I mean, human beings are amazing. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not good. Yeah. Love to hear your thoughts on it. Love to hear the arguments backwards and forwards. Love to have a uh, a robust discussion on this one. And uh, maybe if uh, somebody's got some strong opinions on it, I'll take the other side just to, just to see where it goes. Yeah, just toss it out. Yeah. Just to see where it goes. Anyway, Israel Falau's back in the uh, news again. Uh, his talks with uh, St. George Illawarra, Illawarra Dragons have uh, stopped. He was uh, looking at a comeback to football. Um, of course, he was sacked in uh, 2019 after uh, paraphrasing a verse from the Bible on social media. Okay. Probably not in the most... Um, winning kind of a way, but nevertheless, that's what he did and he got sacked for it um, and won an unfair dismissal case in court and was paid out an undisclosed sum of money as a result of that. But uh, yeah, that's a uh, an interesting. It's an interesting issue that is going to be around for a while as far as religious liberty goes, as far as freedom of speech goes um, and yeah. Okay, so that one has popped back up in the news. The Australian Federal Police have decided that there was no criminal misconduct into Vatican payments to Australia. So initially the claim was made, and this has been just such the biggest mess you've ever laid eyes on. So you've got all of these um, apparently illegal payments being made to Australia. That then gets tied up with the uh, George Pell case where... Mm. Um, apparently his rival, Cardinal Betchu, was trying to pay money to Australian authorities to fund the case against Cardinal Pell. You know, this this got really, really messy. Accusations flying backwards and forwards, left, right and centre. Austrac investigators claimed that there had been $2.3 billion transferred to Australia between 2014 and 2020. Uh, over 47,000 transactions, uh, which the Vatican called science fiction. <laughs> so, yeah, an interesting, interesting story between Vatican and uh, Australian government relations. Uh, investigation now reports that there was only 9.5 million. My big question is, okay, who messed up here? Mm-hmm. You know, there's a big difference between, you know, a couple of billion dollars and 9.5 million. You know, nine point five million for a church the size of the Vatican, I would think, would be very, very small. That seems to me to be ridiculously small. Over three hundred and sixty-two transfers, but I don't know how the Vatican finances work and work and whether, yeah, I, I don't know. I um, also don't know. <laughs> yes, and then of course you had um, oh the whole situation with um, apparently uh, Cardinal Betchu was supposed to have sent over. A, a million dollars to fund the case against Pell. Well, they found that there's not enough evidence there to take that one to court either. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positive. So intent. our interview today is with Courtney Tyler. Welcome, Courtney. Hello. Oh, let me just turn you up a bit. All right. Are you with us? Yes. 
Yeah, cool. So you're just a little bit quiet. We'll just um, see what we can do. So Courtney Tyler, you are up in North New South Wales, I believe working as a school chaplain. Yes, that's correct. I live in Mwollabar, um, just below the border into Queensland. Awesome. And so yeah. you've been there for a few years. Um, tell us a bit, yeah. just maybe give us some background context. How did you come to be there? Why um, Yeah. Why has this work kind of been a part of your journey with God, I guess? Just And, and what do you do? Yeah, definitely. Sure. So just for some background, I guess, uh, my journey um, kind of to this point started as I was finishing school and I was really just questioning what God wanted me to do with my life. It, it was very daunting actually to have the rest of my life lying in front of me um, and me having to make choices about it. And that caused me to probably own my relationship with God for the first time around that age. Mm-hmm. Um, and through a series of events, I guess I ended up just taking a gap year after I finished school. I put off the degree that I had gotten into and um, just I attended a Bible college called Arise actually where I was just trying to understand more what I believed and and grow in in learning to share him with others as well and um, through that experience I guess I just fell in love with God in a whole new way and I really just decided that um, I wanted to spend the rest of that year at least just um, sharing him with others and so that led to me uh, working in the local community of Ballina um, in New South Wales for about eight months um, in 2014 that was and after that experience, I thought I was going to go back to university um, and just, you know, carry on with my life. But God had other ideas and he had really grown me, I guess, in that year and just trying to change um, the direction of, of where things were going. And after that year, I had the opportunity to start working in a school context, actually, um, to join part of the chaplaincy team at Tweed Valley Adventist College. And yeah, from there, I guess I was supposed to only be there a year as well, um, but God has just put on my heart that although it would have been really interesting to study um, nutrition and dietetics, which is what I was going to do, um, God made it clear that although many people are called to that, um, that wasn't his calling for me. And so, um, yeah, he's just led me on this journey of being able to now work in a school context where I get to just walk alongside a whole bunch of students and their families um, through highs and lows, ups and downs, get to introduce them to Jesus. Um, and just see them grow in their own lives and in their walks with God as well. Um, and also to support, I guess, the wider team of staff to be able to just have an environment where, where Christ can be uplifted and people can come to know him. So I guess that's a bit of bit of my journey to this point. So Courtney, uh, now my, there goes my microphone. My microphone <laughs> wasn't working there for a second. Courtney, um, <laughs> okay. just, a, just a quick question there. Yeah. When you started with, um, with the college there, did you start as a Bible worker or did you start straight in as a chaplain? Yeah, so I guess um, my specific role in the chaplaincy team was to find people who might be open to knowing Jesus more. Um, and since then, my role has kind of expanded. But yes, that was specifically what I was there to do at the beginning and it's still my favourite thing about what I do um, and I make it a big part um, of my role. That's fantastic. How many students do you have there at the uh, Tweed Valley Adventist College? Yeah, so it's really exciting, actually. We ha- this year have started with record enrollment, so we're up around, I think, the 280 student mark, um, and that's been an answer to prayer, actually. We've been asking that God would bring, bring families to us uh, that would either already fit with the culture we have or be open to knowing um, about God. So it's really exciting. Now, so, so you've got 200-odd students there, and you, you talk about a chaplaincy team. How many people would actually yeah. be on the team? Yes, that's a great question. So um, it has kind of fluctuated a little bit over my time but there's um, 
a senior chaplain of our school. His name's Marty, and he has been there for many more years than I have, actually. Um, and so he's full-time. Um, I'm full-time. And we also have just this year been able to have one of the churches kind of donate a pastor half-time to work in our school context as well. And there are some other volunteers, um, other Bible workers and other local pastors and things that will come in at different times to to minister and to share um, just to be a part of what God's doing on our campus as well. So we're very blessed. Yeah, that's amazing. That sounds like you've got a really strong spiritual influence there at the school. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And a principal that really, that's where his heart is as well. And so he makes it work. So, Courtney, what does it look like, I guess, for those who maybe haven't been to a school where you have a full-time chaplain? And you just Mm. talked a lot about being able to walk alongside these students. What, What kind of does that look like? What programs or just one-on-one time do you get to have with the students is there a main age bracket you work with or is it just across the whole whole school body yeah yeah so I think lots of schools do it differently but I'll just share how we do it um I myself and my colleague actually work across the entire age span of the school so we work primary and high school um different schools break that up differently but we like that because it, we're able to kind of like i said journey the whole time with them it doesn't matter whether they're on the primary campus or the secondary side of the school um we stay the same and i think that that has benefits when when people are you know having highs and lows in their life and so i guess what it looks like for us to journey with people um of course there are programs that we run and, and different initiatives that we undertake but i guess a big part of what we do is also just being there to have those one-on-one or kind of family conversations when when things are hard um, when they're facing struggles and just crisis in their life or um yeah those kinds of things that we can actually just be a listening ear and and someone to encourage them and and to also sometimes get additional help and support for them depending on what their situation might be so it's really a practical opportunity to to just yeah show them jesus through our actions as well as our words that's amazing how many um out of all of the students that are at the school, so you've got um, you know quite a number of students there. How many of them would be Christians, and how many of them would just sort of come from a non-Christian background? Yeah, yeah. So we have quite an unusual split at our school. I don't think that this is super common across lots of them, but I would say that between forty and fifty percent would actually be Christian at our school, um, and then the rest of them, it's quite a distinct split. So there's not a lot of kind of in between. It's um, yeah, there are either a lot of families that are are kind of on a journey with God already or there's families that maybe kids haven't even heard about a lot about God in their home um, and that kind of thing or aren't sure kind of what to believe. Or well, there's also some different religions in our area. So um, New Age is quite prominent and also Hare Krishna faith um, in our area as well. So we get people from all, all sorts of backgrounds at um, the school where I work. Yeah, that's fantastic. And with the... Um you say there's quite a distinct split between those who come from a Christian home and those who don't, um, or, or even a, a home of, of faith, so to speak. Do you find that that creates divisions amongst the students? Are there cliques that form? Like, yeah, we're the Christians and you're the Hare Krishnas and your guys are the New Age and you guys are the Muslims. Do you, do you find that kind of thing happening, you know, say on the playground, for instance? Or, uh, or does everybody seem to blend fa- together fairly well? Yeah, so I think at different times the answer is yes to both of those things. Um, it's definitely something that we're aware of and sometimes I think we naturally gravitate towards people that are of like mind to us and we see that with our students and it's yeah something in our culture that we are often trying to nurture. Um, but then at other times they get along great all together. It just depends on the context and depends what's happening. Um, and I think there are different things we do such as school camps and 
just activities with them that, that we seek to give them opportunities to make connections regardless of their faith background um, so mm. they can be together. Yep. yep. And those relationships are actually an amazing point of, as you said, actual witness to people. You know, like I know when I was at – I went to a public school basically my whole whole way through and it was mm. so interesting the conversations that I got to have with people who either had no faith background or just a really alternative – just by nature of when you're friends with people, you kind of talk about life, you know? And yeah. so I imagine that there's actually some really incredible conversations that might get to happen, you know, at the playground or school camps or whatever, just by being in that environment and having friends that you're seeing every single day who maybe think a bit different or act a bit different. And you can, you know, it's just a very authentic level of Yeah, it is. And like, like you said, yeah, it is very natural. And I think one of my favorite things that I see um, – is of course as a staff as a team where we're seeking to build those bridges naturally but it's always exciting when you see students actually who are just living out their faith um and or just have a beautiful heart for people and are coming alongside others just naturally on their own initiative um I guess as adults, we want to do that, but it just warms my heart the best when I see a student um, who just steps up to see someone and makes that connection themselves. I think it's, it's the best It's mm. the best part um, to see, yeah. read a great testimony in uh, North Point magazine the other day uh, that actually came from your school. You're able to share a bit of that story. Yeah, sure. I just am praising God for what he's doing um, in our area and just a bit of a story I guess I can share is, is a friend of mine called Hope and basically... Uh, to backtrack a few years, I've had the privilege of being at the same school now for, this is going into my seventh year. And I just am really grateful for that because it allows you to, to see a journey of someone um, and to walk that with them. And so Hope I came to our school as a year eight student way back uh, around the time I started, maybe even just before. And she kind of knew a number of students. She was excited to be there. Didn't really have a personal relationship with God at that time. Um, she came from, I guess, just a Catholic home, but they didn't go to church very often. Her, her grandparents were quite faithful, but in, in her home, not so much. And so she kind of went to church occasionally with her grand, grandma, but more to please her. Um, and I guess at our school, there are opportunities for students to plug in and to get to know God in different ways. And one of those is group Bible studies that we do every Friday morning. And so she started to go along to that uh, because her friends kind of were. And so she'd come, um, and that was probably where things sort of started. But she also recalls a few kind of key points in her journey, one of them being a weak spiritual emphasis, or a woes, as we call it for short. And she just remembers that um, a guy called Boris Jovanov, who actually is, is now working on our team many years later, but he, um, he was speaking that year, and he invited students to make a decision. You know, hey, would you like to accept what Jesus has done in your life? And she felt that God was really moving on her heart at that point, and she made a decision. And um, her and I actually started Bible studies after that, and it was really exciting to see her coming to know God. Uh, but just kind of as social influences happened, she she's willing to admit that you know her friends were kind of losing interest at that point, and so she stopped that journey there for a while. But God is so faithful, and He just uses a team, and He uses so many experiences to win someone. And so in 2017, um, our year 11 students always go on a service trip to Vanuatu. And that made a huge impact on her, just seeing the local people in Vanuatu, just how Jesus meant everything to them. And she just saw him working in their lives in a really tangible way. And that had a huge impact on her. And just a few other experiences, I guess, as a year 12, she was part of leading out in a week of spiritual emphasis. And God just kind of calmed her nerves in a way after they prayed about it. That was really impacting to her and she encountered God personally and experienced him. 
which was so exciting. And I guess since then, um, just different people have invited her to, to church and encourage her to join in with, with activities that will just lead her faith um, to grow in Christ. And we started Bible studies again. And yeah, she actually became a staff member at our school as well. So a teacher aide, she has been working last year as a teacher aide at our school, which was a God thing, the way he orchestrated all of that as well. And so it, it was really beautiful to see at the end of last year that uh, we were actually able to have a baptism and she gave her life to God and she's just on fire for him. She's, she's sharing him with others herself and yeah, it's just been really beautiful to see God use a community of people to win her, um, to know him. That's really amazing. I love this idea that you've got there of doing a service trip to a developing country. Mm. Is that common in Australian schools these days, like in a you know high school environment, that they actually go to a developing country somewhere? I think that there are some schools that do it and some that don't. I'm not sure about everyone, but I know that a few schools in, in our Christian system at least um, have that initiative because we see the impact that it can make. You know, we often think we're going over there to help them, but really often it's a young person, sometimes first time out of Australia, and it's real eye-opener to see just a different culture and a different way of life. And I guess a big part of the reason why we do it is actually for them, even though it benefits the people um, in another country. So it's good for everyone. Yeah, and you can see the impact on uh, on Hope's life right there where, yeah. you know, it's it's reignited that fire within her as she's seen how, you know, another culture responds to God and how another culture lives. I remember, um, you know, I took my youngest son to the Solomon Islands when he was, I think, about 14 or something or other. And it's mm. just, a, just a great experience all around. Um, Courtney, it really sounds like an exciting ministry that you have there at the Tweed Valley Adventist College and a very, very mm. spiritual school. Um, and so we appreciate you for coming on this morning and joining us. Thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate being able to share what he's doing. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.